Okay, good evening, Rabbi Sai, and uh, appreciate you all being here. We will get you out before you, uh, your official dismissal time, so don't worry, you're not going to lose. Um, you know, Vayeshev and Mikates, this whole parsha of Yosef, are the parshos that uh, are connected to Hanukkah. This happens to be an unusual year where the only Shabbos of Hanukkah is Parshas Vayeshev. Normally it's either Miketz as the only one, and sometimes it's both. But uh, this particular year, unusual year, that Vayeshev is the Parsha. And the obvious sort of the rabbinic responsibility is to sort of try to make a connection between Hanukkah, the Inyone Dioma, what's going on in the world, and that's obviously this is the week of Hanukkah. Uh, as we light the first night, uh, candles Thursday night, Bez Hashem. And the obvious question is, what would be the relationship between the whole story of Yosef and the episodes of clearly Vayeshev, Miketz, uh, the whole dramatic uh, episodes that unfold with Yosef sort of being the, the central figure uh, to Hanukkah? And I think there's maybe a, a very simple answer, an obvious answer. I think we actually see from the uh, from the uh, Rashi in the in the first pasuk of the uh, of the Sedra. And it's amazing. It's amazing sometimes, and this is sort of a theme that uh, sort of recurs throughout Jewish history, that we don't always recognize who we are. We don't always recognize the power inherent in a Jew and in the Jewish people. And certainly Hanuk reminds us of that. Hanuk reminds us that at a time that the insurmountable, the unbeatable uh, enemy called the Greek army, <clears throat> this incredible power that was a dominant force throughout the world. And yet, we were able to vanquish them. We were able to be victorious. And of course, we were able to be victorious through the power of, of spirituality, through the power of purity of the mitzvah, the, through the power of recommitting ourselves. As the Mepharshim say, it was, a, uh, it was a spiritual moment that allowed us to defeat the enemy. But sort of, but this certainly the reminder that we have to have in our in our minds that sometimes when the world is very challenging and sort of the enemy seems daunting and somehow we don't always remember how powerful we could be. Certainly, Vayeshev, I believe, reminds us of that because even Yaakov Avinu, incredible Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov Avinu knew the power of Yosef. He knew the power of Yosef because we learned earlier that when Yosef was born, Rashi tells us. Yaakov says, now we can go. I'm not, I'm not worried about Esav meeting up with Esav. Obviously, we have to strategize and figure out the best way to make this happen. But I've got Yosef on my side. Yosef was that Esh, was that Lahava, that fire that was able to destroy Esav that was called uh, stubble. It was called straw. It was called Tevin. They're sort of a, almost a nothing in the face of the fire and the power of Yosef at Tzaddik. And, and Yaakov knew that. He knew it because that's right, right when Yosef was born. Soon after he was born, he says to his wives, it's time to go. Rabbi Rebbechai says incredibly in last week's Parsha that when, when uh, Yaakov reminded Esav, he sent the message to Esav, and I have Shor and Hamor and Seh. What was a Shor? How can we put Shor first? Rabbi Rebbechai says he put Shor first to remind Esav, before you think about attacking me, I've got Yosef. Yosef was a little kid at the time, but I have Yosef. Don't think you can vanquish me, because Yosef represents it's not just Yosef the individual, but Yosef the concept of the power of, of Torah, 
the power of what Yosef represented, the purity and that commitment. He represented sort of everything that was the embodiment of spirituality that he received from, from Yaakov Avinu. And despite all that, in the very first Pasuk Rashi tells us that Vayeshev Yaakov, the Eretz Megui, the Eretz Kanani, wanted to sort of relax, and he couldn't relax. Vayeshev Yaakov, but he couldn't, why couldn't he relax? He couldn't relax because he says that Yaakov saw the end of last week's Parsha. He saw the incredible armies of Esav. And he was, he was overwhelmed. And Rashi brings a marshal about, the, the, about a, a blacksmith. He's knocking on the hammer. He's knocking on the anvil with his hammer. And all of a sudden, a bunch of camels come in with a bunch of flax. And he says, whoa, 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 whoa. I got no room here for this flax. What am I going to do? There's no room. How am I going to, I'm going to, how am I going to deal with this, all this stuff that's laden upon the camels coming in? There's no room here. And a very wise man goes over to the blacksmith and says, there's no room here? What are you holding? You're holding a hammer. What do you do when your hammer hits the anvil? Produces a spark. That spark can vanquish all the, all the flax, literally in a matter of minutes. And we know we're unfortunately very adept with uh, fires and what they can do here in California. And with a little bit of a spark, you got all the flax are gone. <laughs> the camels are gone, the flax is gone, nothing. And all, and all you had to do is bang on the hammer and use what you had in your hand. And Rashi says Yaakov had the same kind of reaction. He saw the alufe Esav. He saw the, 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 the uh, officers. He saw the armies. He was overwhelmed. He says, my gosh, what's going to be? Who can vanquish this enemy? What a powerful enemy. And the, the Torah reminds him, powerful enemy? Ela told us Yaakov Yosef. You, you worried about the enemy? You have Yosef. So incredibly in this Rashi, despite Yaakov Avinu's knowledge of the power of Yosef, the power of Torah, the power of Kedusha, the power of overcoming your enemy, that, and, and, and committing yourself to HaKadosh Baruch Hu under sometimes very stressful and very difficult situations, you're worried. You've got, you've got what it takes. You've got Yosef. And therefore, it certainly reminds us that if a Yaakov Avinu can sometimes forget exactly how powerful uh, Torah is, how powerful Yosef is, how powerful purity is, and a commitment to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, well then it's, it's, it's time for us to remember that as well. Hanukkah is an incredible time because Hanukkah is a time as, as the, the Mepharshim say, it's year after year, but Yom Mehem Azman Azed, that when we, we light those candles, when we light the oil, the wicks of oil, or the candles in the menorah, we are remembering and reminding ourselves of what happened during this time. We vanquished an enemy, how? By committing ourselves to purity. And therefore, if, you were, if we're in tough times and it doesn't look like and we're, we're wondering, where's Mashiach? Where's Mashiach? How could it happen? Where, where, how, how are we going to be able to defeat all the craziness around us? If to get back to basics, remember that with the power of Torah, there's nothing that we can't defeat. We defeated the incredible armies of, of, of the Greeks. Rabbi biyad miatim, tmeim biyad tahorim. As we're going to start saying Thursday night, the incredible Alanisi reminds us that there is nothing that we can't accomplish. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu sees what we can do, when he sees us rising to the occasion, there's, no, there's nothing that, that we can't accomplish, nothing that we can't beat, there's no challenge we can't overcome, and that's what Hanukkah needs to represent to us. It's all nice. I, I joke a lot. Uh, I remember almost every year I mentioned the. Uh, I once 
was on a plane. They handed me a USA Today, and unfortunately, they had different people representing the different religions. And they said, you know, we asked, it was in December, and they asked, you know, the different uh, mem- representatives of the different religions, you know, what, is, what does Hanukkah mean to you? And unfortunately, they asked uh, a rabbi who really wasn't a rabbi at all, and the rabbi says so superficially, how do you write this in the USA Today when you're representing the Jewish people and the, and the person wrote, um, you know, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's a time to just get together, have some latkes and some jelly donuts and play dreidel. And if this is what a, I, I assume a somewhat intelligent person can write into the USA Today representing the Jewish religion, that means we can fall into that trap as well. We can think it's all about just fun and games, and it's nothing wrong with having celebratory moments. Nothing wrong about having a beautiful Hanukkah Chagiga. Our Hanukkah Chagiga, uh, unfortunately, I don't see it happening in the same way this year. We can't dance the way we always dance. Obviously, we have our challenges and our, and our difficulties in making that happen this year. But nothing wrong with, with celebrating, but it's celeb- a celebration that brings us closer to Kodesh Baruch Hu. It's a celebration that makes us realize that when we found that oil, and when that oil lit for eight days, and the Gemara says, my Hanukkah, the, that was the vehicle for which the Chazal knew to make it a, a Yom Tov. Because we've, we've had many vanquishing of enemies. We've, we've risen to the occasion many times in terms of battle. But how do we know that it's a Yom Tov? How do we know that it's a time to celebrate, to say the bracha, Sher Kedishonu, B'msosav Zivonu? And to say the bracha by Yom Asha Osan Yisum that, that you have to know it's a spiritual moment. You have to know that this was a spiritual victory. And, and that indeed is what happened. And that is indeed what we remember. And that is, that is what we have to sort of reconnect to. Come Thursday night as we spend Shabbos Hanukkah this particular week in Baruch Hashem, you guys, you, it's, a, it's a well-earned vacation that you have and time to really air out your, your mind to enjoy. Again, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's sad because typically you have a nice Shabbos Hanukkah vacation. You have a weekend and uh, a couple of days and you're able to go places. And obviously now it's, we're limited about that as well. So we have to really find that, that avenue to celebrate and to appreciate despite the challenges, despite the, the, uh, the lockdowns and all the other things going on around us to somehow find a time to just sort of broaden ourselves out just to stop and to reflect and to appreciate how fortunate we are that we are this Amanifcha, we are this chosen people. And we can tap into the power of Yosef, which is the power of Torah. But it's not just the power of Torah, which is which exactly is what Yosef was, as, as Rashi tells us. Yosef learned all of Yaakov's Torah. He was the Talmud Muvak. He was the one who was the Ben Zekunim, and he learned all of the Torah of Yaakov Venus. He was an incredible Talmud Chacham. He knew all the Torah from Yeshiva Shem Ever because that's Yaakov's 14 years was given over to Yosef. He was a massive Talmud Chacham. But Yosef, we know, also had other trials and tribulations. And Yosef didn't just have the wisdom in a theoretical level, Rabbi Yisai. He also understood how to use that wisdom and how to connect that wisdom into real life and to real life challenges. And that's when we stop and we reflect Later on in this week's parsha, we know what happens. Joseph gets sold, and he goes into into Potiphar's house, and he's in charge of his whole household. And we see a a Yosef Hatzadik. Why is Yosef called Yosef Hatzadik? What made him so special? He learned Torah. Well, many people learn Torah don't get the title Tzadik. Yosef Hatzadik was called Yosef Hatzadik because he faced down one of the harshest, most difficult tests that a man can face, and he came out victorious. 
that he would not fall prey into the temptation that was after him every single day. And we know the story. One day he, he's all alone. And Eish Potifa, Potifa's wife, had tremendous, tremendous eyes on Yosef and wanted in the strongest way. And yes, there are spiritual implications. Chazal say that Eish's Potiphar wasn't a simple lady in her own right. And she saw, she saw visions of Yosef being very critical in her own life. She just had the wrong generation, but, but she was on the right, on the right footing. But not now. You're an Eish's Ish. You're married to Potiphar. Yet, but she didn't let go. And she was after him. And the house was empty, says the Pasuk. And she grabbed him and she says, Shikhvoy me. We have to, we, we have to sort of consummate this, uh, this relationship. This, uh, there was no relationship, but she felt there need to be a, a, a physical connection. And she said, lie with me. She wanted to have relations with Yosef. And, and no one was around. And how tempting it was. How difficult it was. And, and Yosef drew upon all of the powers that he had. And he thought about his father. He had the image of his father. And he thought about the loyalty that he needs to, to show to Potiphar. Here you put me in charge of your old house. And now your wife is after me. And, and this was an unbelievable test. And despite the fact that he drew on everything that he could to say, no, I can't do this to my father's legacy, to who I am as, as, as one of the shvatim, the shiftei ka, the son of, of Yaakov Vinu. Here in this, in this, well, I, I, well, I'm tempted here, and I'm far away from every everything. But I have to know who I am, and I have to draw on the, upon the Torah that I learned, and I have to draw on the akaras, draw on the akaras that I feel towards my master. I can't do this to my master. And with all that, the pasuk says something very fascinating. The pasuk says he ran out when she grabbed him by the garment, and she says, "Lie with me." He ran out. And he left the garment in her hand. The Pesach says. Rechaim Shulevitz, we spoke about him last week as well. He asked, why would you do that? Why would you leave yourself in such a compromised position? Here you leave the garment in her hand. When, when he runs outside and the police show up and he's outside undressed and she's screaming, he tried to rape me, tried to rape me. Can you imagine all, all the accusations she's making? Who do you think they're going to believe? Why wouldn't you at least grab that suit, grab that garment, put on the robe, and look, look decent this way. At least you have a chance of, of, of winning out, even though obviously the police are probably going to believe her more than him, but at least you got a chance. Here, if you're, if you're left without a robe, what are your chances? Why would he do that? And he says an incredible answer. And an answer that, again, comes from Torah. That's why we need Torah. We need to be steeped in the values and the concepts and the strategies of Torah. And certainly to learn the Torah is so important, but to imbibe the Torah is even more important, to make it part of us, to make it, to make it who we are in terms of our personality, our character, and our hashkaf and our approach to life. And says Rechaim Shulevitz, Yosef had to leave at that moment. He could not take the few seconds to get into a tug of war. Because when the Eitzara is burning... You maybe sometimes only have a second or two to make that decision. Am I going to run out of here and save my spiritual destiny? I might end up in jail. I might end up who knows where. But at least I can stand tall and face HaKadosh Baruch Hu after 120 years. And, and I did not fall prey to that temptation. I did not live with, with Potiphar's wife. And I held true to my, my fundamental commitments of being a, an Ever Hashem. Can I, can I do that? I can only do that if I run out right now. If I delay the Eitzara, as we spoke about last week, is so adept. And if I wait a little bit longer, I might not be able to stay, stay strong. 
I might fall into the, into the temptation. I won't be able to manage. So knowing the weaknesses, knowing the situations, knowing how to respond. Again, knowing the right questions and the right answers. And he knew right then and there, I've got one second or so, maybe two to decide. If I get into a tug of war, I'm done. Before you know it, I'll decide to stay. So this is what an insight about the brilliance of Yosef, the understanding that he had to leave that garment in her hand because sometimes you sometimes have literally a few, a second sometimes. The temptation comes by, we have to respond quickly. So and sometimes, as we said last week, we have to ask the questions when the sort of the, the negative, the etera shows up, we have to ask the questions. We also have to know this is the right thing. There's nothing to ask. I know I have to leave this place. And when we know that, you, we have to go for it. We have to grab that opportunity. That's the incredible strategy that Yosef teaches us during, during this, this wonderful insight into the powers of a human being to be able to defeat the enemy. What made Yosef so powerful? What made him the, the ash to the, to the straw of an Esav? What made him that fire that can vanquish Esav? It's this. It's, it's learning Torah and it's living Torah. And it's understanding the, the fact that at the end of the day, what am I doing here? What am I, how can I fall prey to this temptation? I might have a momentary moment of pleasure, but then what? Then what how am I going to look at my, my father? How am I going to look at Potiphar? How am I going to look at HaKadosh Baruch Hu? How can I do this? This incredible strategy to always think bigger and deeper into the issues at hand and not to sort of look at it from just a, a narrow perspective of the immediate pleasure. That's why the Pirkevus tells us. Right? When, before when Avera comes by, weigh the Avera. Okay, I get it. Five minutes of pleasure. And then what? In, in eternity of, of regret, of, of guilt of punishment, of feeling that I did one of the worst avarice you could ever do? Live with, live with an ashes ish? How, how can I do that? And, and the ability to see that, the ability to, to, to calculate that is something that comes from Torah. It comes from, a, from an understanding of what this world is about. And one of the things we can use Everybody say in terms of really remembering that a Baruch Hu runs the world, because that's what it is. We know it. The Gemara says, Ein adam When people sin, when that temptation comes in front of us, it could be on a screen, it could be in real life, it could be, it could be uh, in any type of situation how it can come up and, and we have that moment when we have to decide, what am I going to do? Am I going to pass this test and shut that, that computer or or not answer that text, or say no to those people who want to take me someplace on a Saturday night. You don't have sometimes a very long period of time to decide. It's remembering HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs the world. It's having that clarity in your mind that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is here and he runs the world. And he is watching me. And there's an amazing story, a Hanukkah story, that really reminds us how, how, how HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs the world. And it's that recognition when we really understand that, we have that amuna deep in our hearts, that gives us, that gave Christ all that ability to, to vanquish their enemy. Because again, they rededicated themselves to Torah, they rededicated themselves to mitzvahs. Why? Because they remembered what's important. Even though the Greeks were very, they had a tremendous, wow, powerful philosophy in the, the whole, they worshipped the physical body, they worshipped Greek culture, Greek, Greek philosophy, a lot of things to be impressed. But can you see through that? Can you remember HaKadosh Baruch Hu really runs the world? There's an amazing story that is in recent history about a fellow who, who survived the war. 
and his name, I believe, was Mr. Greenbaum. Maybe when he, after the war, he changed his name to, I think, Mr. Green. And this fellow was just so upset about what happened in the war. He saw the suffering. He saw the bloodshed. He lost members of his family. And he just could not understand how God could have done this to him. And as many others, unfortunately, who moved away after the Holocaust, he says, I want nothing to do with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I want nothing to do with God, nothing to do with Judaism. I know I'm a Jew, but that's, that's the end of it. And therefore, he moved to Alabama. Of all places, he moved to Alabama. And he says, I'm going to settle down there. No Jews there. not going to bother me. Amazingly, he found a Jewish girl who's also a survivor. And uh, the, the, they, they got married. And they had a boy. And they raised their family totally secular. Totally secular. And this kid, we'll call him Josh. I remember his name. We'll call him Josh just for uh, argument's sake. And uh, so Josh gets to be 13 years old. And the father knows that uh, he's not going to make a bar mitzvah for the kid. But he does remember that 13 is a significant birthday. So he tells Josh, you know, I'll tell you what. Why don't we go down to the mall? We'll go to the sporting goods store. And you will... And you'll pick out what you want for your birthday. Because it's 13, and today you're a man. Today you have a certain threshold. You moved into a certain new level. I guess he remembered those concepts from, uh, from before the war. And uh, he wanted to make it a special celebration. And he was, I, I believe he owned a uh, car mechanic shop. He was doing well, this Mr. Green. Mr. Greenbaum he was doing very well. And he went shopping. So they go here, they go there, electronics, and this is probably back, this is back in the early 60s, probably, something along those lines. And he's looking around, and the sports didn't interest him. The glove, the baseball glove, this or that, the, uh, the uh, erector set, the uh, plane, the, nothing seemed to interest him. And all of a sudden, as they're walking through different stores, he sees an antique shop. And he sees a menorah in the antique shop. He says to his father, let's go there. Let's go there. It's an antique shop. Let's go. I, want to see, I want to see that. So, you know, him and the, the father and Josh go into the other store, and they, I want that. And it was a very interesting wooden menorah. Maybe, and it had some, maybe some other things around it, but it was a very unusual type of menorah. And, and I want that. I want that. Kid wants a menorah. It's strange. I mean, we don't like Hanukkah candles. We don't do anything Jewish, but he wants a menorah. So he says, okay, listen, it's my son's uh, birthday. He's 13. He goes over to the owner and he says, um, what's it going to cost? I want that menorah. The owner says, it's not for sale. Well, I mean, it's not for sale. It's, it's here. Well, it's here, but it's really a mistake. That is an antique from World War II from the Holocaust. And I received that um, some, from spe- some special delivery, and I will not sell it. I believe one day it's going to be very going to be worth a lot of money. Okay, so uh, I'll give you a hundred bucks for it. I mean, it's probably worth twenty now, but I'll give you a hundred. I'm not interested in selling it. I'll give you a thousand dollars. Okay, I mean, I want the menorah. My kid wants it, so now it got already an ego was going on here, and uh, you know he was trying to. So finally, he says, "I will not sell it. That thing could be worth ten thousand dollars one day." He says, "Okay, if that's what it's going to take, I'll give you ten thousand dollars for that menorah." Well, that, at that point, he's okay. <laughs> he's wondering if Mr. Greenbaum, you know, has his faculties, but he just thought, okay, that's what you want to do, fine. And the kid would not let him go, and he was, kept tugging at him. He says, fine, here's your menorah. Go out and enjoy it. And sure enough, they go home. A couple of weeks pass by. Mr. Greenbaum and his wife are downstairs, and all of a sudden, they hear a bang. And 
he was playing with little Josh, was playing with the menorah, maybe he's not so little, 13-year-old kid, he's playing with the menorah, and it fell, and it broke. And it broke into different pieces. Apparently, they were, it was compartmentalized in, the, in hitting the floor with the power that it hit. It broke into different parts. And they run upstairs, and they see what's going on. And like they, he, Mr. Greenbaum starts getting really upset. I said, what did you do? I spent so much money on that menorah, and now you break it. And he's really about to really you know, show a lot of anger. And all of a sudden, he looks down. And he sees that the menorah and broke it, breaking up into different pieces had certain openings in them. And he saw that as a piece of paper in one of the openings of the menorah. He looks down, he picks it up, and he opens up the paper, and he starts reading the paper. As he's reading, he's turning white, and he faints. And, and everyone's shocked, and life is shocked, the, the, the boy is shocked, and quickly they get some water, they revive the father, says, Daddy, Daddy, what's going on? What's going on? What, what happened? What happened? He says, I have to read you this letter. You're not going to believe it. And he reads the letter and he says, whoever finds this menorah should know that the ones who made it didn't make it beyond the Holocaust. And there are going to be people who think that we're finished and we're done. But we made this menorah in the hopes that one day another Jew will find it. And remember that we will never be destroyed. The Jewish people will live on. That we will continue to give our children the values of Judaism that will endure forever. And that's why we made this menorah. And we are so happy that somebody actually found it and found this note. And the father's reading this to his wife and to his child. He says, it's signed by Seymour Greenbaum. That was my father. My father made this menorah. And I find it here in Alabama. What are the odds? What are the chances? And he just, he says, this is not an accident. This is an open miracle. Maybe even more than a miracle. It's a direct message that we're not going in the right direction. My father sent me a personal note. And Akash Baruch delivered it to me and to my wife and to you, that our lives are going to be different. And from that incredible moment of Ashkach Pratis, the Greens led a very different life, as you can well imagine. And when we think about Hanukkah, we think about this incredible story, we think about what makes Klai Yisrael so amazing. The that we are a people that have gone through so many miracles. We are reminded so often, and I, and I say it all the time, our existence here, the fact that this is a mishmor, and we are learning, and we are talking about Hanukkah, and we're talking about the Parsha, and Yaakov Inu, that's a miracle. Who would have thought it? Could you imagine what, when Mr. Greenbaum was in the war, and, and he looked around, and he, he saw the devastation? That we're ever going to be rebuilt to this position where maybe more Torah is being learned right now in the world than at any time in, in, in Jewish history, possibly? It's, it's miraculous. That's Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the, the ability of the Jew, under all conditions, against all odds, to rise to the occasion. How? With the power of that hammer. The power of that hammer, that the power of Torah, that Yaakov knew that he had, but maybe a little bit forgot that it was as powerful as, as it was. 
You have Yosef. What are you worried about? You got, you got the fire that can destroy. It can make, it can make an ace of into, into straw. It can make the Greek empire fall. You want to meet a Greek one day? Uh, you want to interview a Greek, a member of the Greek empire? <laughs> Good luck. It's not going to happen. You can't find one. You can go to the Museum of, of History and maybe you can find a, a statue. But there are no Greeks left. The people in Greek are not, uh, Greece are not the ones from, uh, from uh, Athens back uh, 2,000, 2,500 years ago. They're gone. The death of an empire, Roman Empire, Greek Empire, uh, all of these empires, they're all gone. As powerful as they were, they, uh, they, everyone thought they are going to last forever. And the little Jew, <laughs> this little nation, we're here, and we're strong. Our, we're, we're, we cannot be defeated, because Akash Baruch Hu has told us that I will always stay by your side. And that's what we celebrate. And it's a time of rededication. It's a time of renewal. It's a time of, of understanding the power that we have within us. We commit ourselves to the power of Torah, Bez Hashem. We need to know that there is nothing that could stop us. So with all the challenges that we face in the, this amazing year of 2020, and the... Uh, the Hanukkah that we are sort of in a sense, we maybe we need to recharge our batteries. It's been a while since Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and this is sort of the, and Sukkot is the first time post-Sukkot to be able to sort of get some reflection, get some perspective. Bez Hashem, let us do that. Let us take this time off to really connect, not just in the terms of, okay, let me get rid, let me stop the homework, let me stop school for a few days. That's great. But let me reconnect to who I really am. Let me remember that I'm a Jew. And I have the power of Torah. That power of Torah can defeat anything. And Bez Hashem, we can rededicate ourselves as we look to end this COVID challenge, as we look to somehow get ourselves beyond this, we're looking really for a lot more. We don't want to just get beyond COVID. We want to get beyond Golas. We want to get beyond the, the limitations of our spiritual state so we can rise to the level of Bez Hashem. We can earn the ultimate light, Bez Hashem. Let's do that. Let's use Hanukkah as a vehicle for uplifting, a vehicle for renewal, a vehicle for rededicating ourselves to Havod Hashem and the power of Torah in the most meaningful way. And that's Chuspah Hashem. We'll have an amazing Hanukkah, an amazing Shabbos Hanukkah, a wonderful vacation, but most importantly, we'll be Zohar Hashem to be a Hashem. Have a good Shabbos.